Well, uh, welcome to God is Open. This is uh, a nice little test here for my new camera. I think it's working a little bit better. I don't know. We'll see how that's going on. Um, we're going to just do a quick review of this. It shouldn't be too long. It's a happy Thanksgiving for everyone. I know we're all thankful to be alive and thankful for our beautiful lives. And I know I am. But uh, let's review this quiet Calvinist. Now, I call him the quiet Calvinist because uh, his audio is very, when, when leveling against Leighton Flowers, his audio is very much off. And he took great offense for me telling him all about that. So that was this guy. So we'll see what he says. This is about imputed guilt. And we'll critique him. See Notice what goes on there. Terms, leaving out the loaded terms. Well, there's some debate on how you would interpret those passages from David. Um, some even talk about being conceived in sin might be referencing his mother's sin, not his own, um, in the way he was conceived. So this is about original sin, and there's the verse by David in which he says, I was conceived in sin. And the Joel Park take on that is that, uh, Joel Park slash Warren McGrew take on that is uh, that the sin was not David's, but his mother's, um, maybe like the Jesse Morrell take as well. My take is the Walter Brueggemann take is that this is a poetic, uh, poetic expression meant to signify that in theory, he's guilty from his birth. And, you know, it's, it's something he's saying in the moment, just like uh, elsewhere in the Psalms, he says he's been righteous since birth. Uh, Job says that too. I've been righteous since, since I was a youth. And so these are just poetic expressions uh, signifying your mental state of mind at the time of that writing, what, what kind of mindset you're in. It's it's not to be taken as some sort of metaphysical absolute. That's not what's going on there. But uh, Leighton Flowers, has um, he's, he's positing some ideas. And then uh, our quiet Calvinist friend, he's going to have some counter ideas. He's going to critique Leighton Flowers on this. And the way oftentimes that was looked. No, that's incorrect on all accounts, Leighton. <laughs> no, Leighton, that's incorrect on all accounts. And it's going to become painfully obvious. Like uh, he's reading a written script. So it's like, no, you are incorrect on all accounts, Leighton. Book Life of Israel. Deuteronomy 23, verse 2 reads, No one of illegitimate birth may enter the assembly of the Lord, none of his descendants, even to the tenth generation may enter unto the assembly of the Lord. And so so that is true that in 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 uh, Israel you had to have certain purity and certain in order to enter the temple. So like uh, lepers couldn't go in. If you had physical defects, you couldn't go into the temple. And uh, one of these things was lineage. It was very important that you were in a state of purity. And that that is true. But the thing is that you can't quote Deuteronomy as some sort of explanation for some random verse in Psalms. You, you can't do that. You can't say, you're wrong about this Psalm. Let's turn to the completely different part of the Bible in a different context, talking about something else completely, and then that controls somehow the meaning. To the assembly of the Lord means... Never trust a man in a bow tie. I don't know. I, I, like, I like Jeffrey Tucker. He wears bow ties. Either admission to public honors and offices in the church... In the state of Israel, or in the case of foreigners, incorporation with that nation by marriage. It is simply a fact that no person born out of wedlock. So, like, he has like a bookshelf in his background, and he took like a close up picture of that, and then he green screened the close up picture. Like, 
yeah, you could you could you could just download a bookshelf from the internet, and then it would like be proper proportions. It looks like all his books are like super giant, like the book is the size of his head. So that's why you don't want to do use like a closed-in cropped picture because it just looks weird. It looks like you're like either like a tiny man in a large room, or you just you just buy giant oversized books. Maybe like you know all the old people have the big letter books, so you could buy the giant books with the big letters. Looks like what that's what's going on here. I.e., what this interpretation suggests could be king of Israel. So I think this interpretation fails. <laughs> Furthermore, why would David bring up the sin of someone else, his mother, in the case of this interpretation? Yeah, that, that is a good question. And, you know, there's people who do throw out answers. Um, but I, I do think he has a point. I think the gist of this is about King David's self-lament. When the entire psalm is about his own personal sinfulness. It's yeah. reference to youth or uh, infancy. From my infancy, I have done this. Or from my uh, my youth, I have done this. But these are oftentimes poetic words and not necessarily yeah. talking about literally from the womb that this is happening. But at a very young age, this is when I begin to do this or begin to do that, the kinds of things. So that's actually a pretty good point that a lot of times people come to the Bible and then they grab one verse and like a half of a verse and then they'll be like, this is my metaphysical doctrine that applies to everything everywhere. If you just read this half a verse the specific way that I think this half a verse should be read. A lot of times, you know, statements without context, it doesn't give you something tangible. It doesn't give you something that you could just stake a doctrine on. You need something in context reinforcing that your reading of that verse is correct. Something more than something more than nothing. Something more than nothing. Let's let's hear our quiet Calvinist friend. Uh, yes, because nowhere else does David talk about his innermost parts being woven together in his mother's womb. Wait a moment. Yes, sarcasm doesn't work if it's like written, scripted, and rehearsed. You have to you can't just read sarcasm. It, it it doesn't come off naturally. And that's what we get there. I, I don't know what his point is. Because David elsewhere has written about being known in the womb, that means this this statement in the Psalms must be about original sin. Uh, is is original sin our sin or is or is it Adam's sin? So what is what does that mean? What does that uh, what means? Uh, that's uh, uh uh, all the all the workout people are like, what means that they'll post two things? It's like, oh, this person. Nah, never mind. And I do not believe that we are guilty because of what Adam did. I don't believe that the scriptures support that. Romans five nineteen. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. Notice the parallel. We all understand the second clause is made righteous be referring to imputation. There would be an incongruity if we insisted that the first clause wasn't referencing the same theological concept. Yeah, so there are there's already some in, incongruity as he lists out in his own interpretation. So like every single person on earth is guilty in Adam, but not every single person on earth is going to be made righteous through Christ. So already there's some incongruities in in this parallel in his own system. So you, you can't just appeal to uh, these, these concepts have to be equal in the same way. And uh, I don't think he touches, I don't think he goes, pulls up 
any sort of latent videos. I, don't, I haven't looked at the rest of his channel, but I'm going to bet he hasn't pulled up uh, latent flowers talking about that verse or people like Michael Heiser, you know, some normal, normal academic scholars talking about that verse and how it has nothing to do with original sin. He probably hasn't done that deep dive work. This is just like, gotcha. This guy is, it's a young kid. And he got mad at me. He's like, uh, because I was, I was talking to him and he's like, oh, I'm being raised by a single mother. I'm very poor, so I can't afford nice audio equipment. I was like, okay, okay. So may, this, I, he's just getting into this. He probably, it's it's unrefined. He, he probably doesn't know what he's doing. He's looking for gotchas and not understanding how dialogue, how research works to put together a coherent video. But it looks like he's got some friends. He's got 15 likes and, and 100 views on this, so. Looks like the the Calvinists like to to uh, uplift their own. The swarm to the, the burdening, budgeting, budgeting young Calvinists and support their pages. So that that's one thing they do do well is in intra uh, creator support for for their internet hegemony, uh, hegemony, hegemony that that they they control the internet. And so they they do things to boost up their presence. So that's good, I guess. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Those in Adam imputationally were made sinners. Just as we use the theological phrase imputed righteousness. So one tip for ever giving presentations is you can't be reading slides. I think we dealt with this on our last live stream. You, you can't just put up walls of text. Yeah, and, and even in something like this, you can't just read an entire paragraph of material. You just need bullet points. And then when you talk to those bullet points, your statements will come out more natural. It, it won't be so obvious that that you are reading. Uh, it's it's a little off-putting. It's off-putting to just watch. So if, if I wanted to read something, I would just read something. You don't need to listen to someone reading. Yes. So too, we use the phrase imputed guilt to describe this concept. As one of my favorite commentators points out, suppose we disturb the parallel as now adjusted and argue that Adam was not a federal head and that we are therefore neither held guilty of Adam's sin nor condemned and punished on account of it. Where shall we find the counterpart of this in Christ? Must we also maintain that he does not represent his people and that they are neither esteemed righteous on account of his work nor justified and saved by it? Such is the legitimate consequence of the opposite views. If we hold that Adam, that from Adam we receive only a corrupt nature, in consequence of which we... So notice what's going on here for this, this gotcha. Uh, uh, Layden Flowers is talking about a verse in the Psalms. Okay, that's good. And to critique it, this guy's jumping to verses within the book of Romans and expositorily talking about what those verses in Romans means. And then he's going to ex post facto take those meanings and apply them back onto our verses in, in, the, in the Psalms. So this is, this is not a way to do theology. And it's, it's not a rational way to critique someone. You can't just say, look over here at my verses. My verses like um, new new Christians, when you're a teenager, this kid's a teenager, uh, they like to do that. Or proof text trumping. Oh, you have your proof text here? Well, go look at my proof text over there. So, ha, 
it's like okay one trumps the other so they're they're like false is the bible contradictory it's like you're you're just creating confusion and you're not actually dealing with the thing that was originally said and on top of that now you're introducing a new thing and in this format Leighton flowers can't have a direct response but needless to say Leighton flowers has talked about these romans verses elsewhere so this this guy has not done his homework and if if he was a more experienced calvinist speaker with a larger following, I would say he knows better, but he's a, he's a young kid. So he he might be doing this innocently, doing this red herring thing, jumping to a random verse and critiquing Leighton Flowers on a verse Leighton Flowers isn't talking about. We only sin personally and then become guilty and are in consequence condemned. We must also argue that we've received from Christ only a pure renewed nature in consequence of which we become personally righteous and there are justified before God and saved, but such a scheme would ultimately undermine the whole gospel. Notice here the consequence of accepting Leighton's uh, offered interpretation of these passages as he has described elsewhere. It, it simply uh, brings us back to a gospel which is ultimately the gospel of Rome. Well, yeah, if you say so, I, I guess that's an argument. Um, you you quoted a guy who we don't know who you quoted, and uh, he said something that uh, if other people who don't agree with his readings of Romans are denying the gospel, and you're saying that's absolutely true, I'm, I'm sure you proved that somewhere. I just don't see it. I just don't see it. So through Adam, uh, sin entered the world and death spread to all men. And then through another man, righteousness will spread to the whole world that's the parallel that's what paul's paul's talking about truly the pelagian insistence that guilt finds its ground solely in the personal voluntary sin of individuals of a race cannot be harmonized with the sustained witness of the apostle paul if god only condemns and penalizes people for their own personal sin and guilt then how can adam's posterity justly be cursed with a sinful nature unless they are guilty by this imputation. To quote Tom Hicks of Founders, which I know Leighton loves, why would God curse all of Adam's race, causing them to inherit a sinful nature, if all of Adam's <laughs> There's a lot said about the sinful nature. Yeah, uh, a child can suffer consequences of parents' actions, but that doesn't mean that there's a special, unique, um, enlightened nature or whatever. What, what they see happening in genesis is adam has this kind of here pure human essence and then adam sins and some sin essence mixes with his pure essence and now he's like some sort of hybrid essence and when he has a child that child has this hybrid essence as well it, it's a very weird theology it's it's not at all described within the bible and the proof texts that they pull out for this, they're pretty much always New Testament proof texts. They're like, oh, look at look at Paul talking cryptically about natural man and spiritual man that you don't find anywhere else in the Bible. And uh, this definitely means our special metaph metaphysics that you definitely can't find anywhere else in the Bible. Um, but it's, it's true. Our, our beliefs are true and accurate. No, I don't think so. I don't think the Bible talks about this corruption of the nature of man where now there's this sin human hybrid that's just being passed down through generations i just i just don't see it there
and uh, people agree with me, like uh, Michael Heiser, he hasn't dealt with Heiser's reading of the verse. And it doesn't even seem like he's dealt with Leighton Flowers' uh, treatment of this verse either. He, do he doesn't seem to be aware that it exists. Again, it's it's a little gotcha video by uh, an amateur YouTubist. Adam's race is originally innocent and therefore not liable to any curse or pen penalty. If Adam's posterity is not in some way guilty for Adam's first sin, then it would seem most unjust for God to curse the whole race with a sinful nature on the basis of Adam. Okay, so how about this idea? You can be punished for something that you're not guilty of. Is, is, that, is that accurate? It happens all the time. It happens in our legal system. It happens in reality. It happens by natural consequences. And it happens in the Bible that non-guilty people get punished for things that they weren't involved with. There's national punishment. People get punished for the actions of their kings. Often within the Bible, the king does something, and all the people, young and old, uh, uh, children, men and women, everyone is punished equally for this national sin. We, we see it all the time. So you can, yes, be punished for things you're not guilty of. Adam's first sin. I mean, think about it. If we're, if we're not imputedly, uh, imputationally speaking, guilty, what what is the middle ground between guilty and innocent in, in, in God's uh, sight? Furthermore, a rejection of imputed guilt and this weird interpretation of David that Leighton puts forward weird is not actually or historically true. Not all die because they actually involuntarily sin. Infants die, right? It, it's, a, it's a sad thing of our world. But they have not actually transgressed against... Yeah, Jesus died. Did Jesus sin, Mr. Random? Uh, I don't know his name. Merrick? Is his name actually Merrick? Is his name Merrick Kaiser? Is he like uh, a German German prince or king from World War II? Merrick Kaiser? Um, but Jesus didn't sin. And Jesus died. So maybe, maybe we should grapple with the idea that not sinning doesn't mean you're magically immortal. Maybe maybe we should just actually consider that. You know, and after the, the similitude of Adam's transgressions, yet Leighton believes this guilt isn't applied to them until they voluntarily sin. How does that make any sense? Those are just some, some things to ponder, and uh, I don't know if the camera will pick it up. Uh, this work here. Uh, the Imputation of Adam's Sin by John Murray. Really excellent on this Yep, topic. I'll definitely pick that up. Death and Adam and Life in Christ by J.B. Fesco. Yep, sounds interesting. just a wide, wide variety of imputational theology. And then finally, um, Chris uh, here, the, the Tale of Two Adams. Just a really good uh, reformed exposition of this, of this teaching, which is really central to Protestant hermeneutics. Making things up that are not found in the Bible, not taught in the Bible, and they come up with these elaborate systems, uh, metaphysics, uh, systematic theologies. And uh, I think it was on the provisionist perspective just the other day where they're talking about how the Calvinists always claim, oh, we get our theology from the Bible, we, we just read the Bible. Then it turns out it's not true. And if you just try to talk about a verse, they kept keep bringing in their presuppositions. That uh, yeah, we we need we need to know Calvinism, know our systematic, and then you could understand this verse, which which betrays the fact that they don't actually get their theology from the Bible. In Adam, when do we get into Adam? Does Paul offer more on this? 
that that is that is the question um i would take the the phrase i, I wonder if i could pull up uh, the michael heiser uh his uh commentary on these verses but basically he says i just take what the verse says that in adam uh sin entered the world and then death spread to all men it's not sin spreading to all men death is spreading to all men so it seems to be more of the take where you know a people not guilty of something can in fact die and in what way did that sin spread to all men and i think the answer is found within the book of genesis that there's a tree of life and if you eat from the tree of life then you get immortality and when you're barred from the tree of life then you die and so death spreading to all men is a practical thing in which people don't have access to that tree of life and so i i don't think our our young friend um kaiser here or any of his theologians that he held up the books, I don't think they wrestle with that possibility. They probably won't because they want a system of metaphysics. They don't want a system of practicality. But it's uh, Thanksgiving, so I'm going to have to sign off. Just a quick little a test of my, my new camera here. And uh, I hope everyone had fun. <laughs> Greg, Greg, he says, uh, let's go branded. Fantastic. So I'm going to log off, but uh, thanks for showing up and thanks for helping critique the, the silent Calvinist, this, this poor man. I offered to buy, this is the guy I offered to buy a steak to increase his testosterone because eating meat is good. So if, if you're, you have a family and it's Thanksgiving, fill those kid, uh, kids up with protein, eggs and meat and turkey and steak. Just feed, feed them up with protein so they could get some testosterone. So, all right. Happy Thanksgiving.